0: Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing well, I hope. I'm going to go ahead and uh, continue on in our series this morning. Before we do that, it's time to light the next candle in the uh, Advent wreath. So we've been going through this series in, uh looking primarily, if you haven't caught on to this yet, in Isaiah. Uh, traditionally, we look to Isaiah at this time of year for uh the readings at church. So we've read through and we've seen the, the hope that we have in the coming of Jesus in Isaiah 64, that his presence and his coming is the foundation of our hope. We saw that in Isaiah 40, we had the, uh, the preparation that he promises, that God not only promises to come and to reveal himself to us, but to prepare us even for that coming uh, in him. And then this week, we're going to go ahead and light the next candle, which is the candle of joy, um, we're going to be reading out of Isaiah chapter 35 uh, this morning. But before we do that, I'm going to let you go ahead and, and get to Isaiah uh, 45. Um, sorry, Isaiah 35. I apologize. Isaiah 35. But uh, kind of before we jump into that, before we get to uh, that portion, I just want to kind of uh, take a moment and, and uh, just kind of share my heart with you just Briefly here, Uh, how many of you guys have ever gotten like one of those really nice wedding invitations? Right, really nice wedding invitation. You get them and they're interesting because I was thinking about this today. They don't say you're invited, right? The really nice ones. What do they say? Your presence is requested, right? Those are the fancy ones. Those are the ones that make you really feel like you're supposed to be there, and you feel guilty when you don't go. This morning, I want to kind of request something of you in that way. We're going to be uh, having our Christmas party here for Sozo Church on Wednesday here at the building, and I'm not just inviting you. Hello, somebody. Your presence is requested. Come on. Um, And here's the reason why, and this is where I say I want to just kind of eddy out from the series if I could for just a minute. I think... When we we stop and we look over what God's doing at Sozo right now, it's it's an ex, at least for for me and for those of you who I've talked to, it's a, it's a pretty exciting time for us right now. It's a pretty uh, it's pretty amazing to see all the things that God has done uh, through us this this year. And really, I, I would like if we could to understand a few things real fast. And we'll, we'll get to the word. I just felt it necessary to just kind of share my heart with you this morning. We. You know, we've been through a lot as a as a as a family, as a people, as a church, as a congregation. We've we've had ups, we've had downs, we've had great successes, we've had other stuff, and um, (laughs) and I think there can be kind of this uh, awkwardness if we're going to be honest, because some of us who are part of this house have walked together. uh, My wife and I were talking about this for for over ten years. Some of us have have walked together for 10 years. And, and God's done some amazing things through that, so those seasons of our life. And some of us have walked with Sozo from the very beginning. It's one of uh, the great joys that I have that um, we have some people here who have been with us from the very, very beginning. Uh, some people who've been with us since before the beginning. <laughs> and they're still here. <laughs> Yay. And I think as we grow... Kind of, we have two dynamics at play. We have just the typical normal, right? Like group of people, you're new, so like you don't know people, awkwardness, right? Let's just be honest. Can I be honest about this stuff or not? Like, no, like no, everything's great. I know everybody. You like either you try to pretend like you know people. Hello, like you like walk up. Like no, I totally know everybody. I'm just comfortable and I'm leaving early. Um, you know, or you you try to get to know people and it can be awkward and it can be weird. And then you have the dynamic in a church plant like this of like, well, some of the people here have known each other for like 10 years and we have a million inside jokes. Just so we're clear, most of them are based on YouTube clips for us here at the church um, or random lines from slightly inappropriate movies. And uh, there can be all those dynamics, but here's what I want to kind of just lay all that out and say that those are all um, things at play in, in a church plant, things that play specifically for us here at Sozo. But I, I want to push us a little bit, if I could, to understand a, a couple of things. And, and the biggest is this, that if we're not connecting relationally to one another, if you aren't planting your life here more than just on Sunday mornings, and what I mean by that, if you're not growing in relationship with other people here, then you're missing out on one of the largest parts of what the body of Christ is all about. The truth of the matter is, is that the primary delivery mechanism for the grace of God in your life is going to be other people. Look, this is great. Getting together and hearing the word is awesome and getting, and studying it together and growing together and being challenged in an environment like this. It's crucial to what God has called the church to do, but it's not all that God has called us to do. And so your presence is formally requested this Wednesday to come together. But I wanted to touch on one other reason um, why i think this is so important it's it's important for you individually to get to know people to get outside your comfort zone to get outside of your bubble of 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 kind of those people that you know and get around those if god's called you to be a part of this body he's called you to be more than just here on sunday mornings he's called you to get to know people and bury your life with the people so i have enough friends come on somebody that's just ridiculous called you to, to know one another and to get over the awkwardness. Come on, and, and just, let's just, I'm, I'm talking about this because let's just get it on the table so Wednesday's like, it's just going to be awkward. Let's embrace the awkward. That way you can just tell somebody, just walk up to him on Wednesday, like, I know this is awkward, but Mark said it was going to be awkward, so let's just be awkward together and get to know each other. What do you do for a living? There's another reason, though, why this is so important to me. And this is just, I just, I wish I could go out to coffee with each of you individually and just have this conversation, but embrace the awkward. As the pastor of this house, I mean, my wife and I have been in ministry now for almost 13 years. And I can tell you that we've had um, some amazing seasons in our life in ministry specifically. We've had some incredibly weird stuff happen to us. We've had incredibly amazing encounters with God in the midst of ministry, and we've We've seen God do stuff that literally has caused me to just sit in silence, and not saying something for me. And as a church, we've experienced things like that, and we talk about those, and we celebrate them, not because we make much of ourselves, but because we make much of Jesus and what he's done through us in, in the midst of all this, and we give him every bit of glory and honor and praise for those things, but... I'm excited, and I can say this in complete honesty, standing before you and knowing that I will be held accountable for this before Jesus someday, and tell you that I am more excited about what's ahead of us than anything that's been behind us. And here's why I want you to hear that, though. I want you to understand that I'm not excited about that because, just because of the promises that we have in the Lord of what he's going to do. I'm excited about that, and the evidence of that for me is you all here. Because when I see what God's done through your lives and who who you are and who he's made you to be and the working that he's doing in you, I can see the potential to what he wants to do through you. Come on, somebody. And when you add all that up, I get really, really excited. You're the reason why I'm excited about what God's doing here. Look, there were days, there were weeks, there were months when it was like me and my wife and the Proudies and John Pollan and a few other people like in my house, okay? And I was excited then. I was. You can ask them. I preached just as loud there. I was in my house, and I yelled at them in my living room. (laughs) It was awkward, but I didn't care, because I was excited. But I'm more excited now, because you all are here, and I see what God could do through us all, even just adding us together. But can I take it one step deeper this morning? There's, There's the adding together the sum total of our parts excitement that I have. But then I, I realize that if we can embrace one another relationally and if we can come together as a true body, then we move to another place of synergy and multiplication and something more profound can happen than just the sum total of our parts. And look, I'm already excited about just the sum total of our parts. So then when I start going down that road and thinking about all the crazy stuff that could happen that way, I get really, really excited. There was a study done that I remember reading years ago, and it stuck with me, where they, they figured out the power of multiplication in a really significant way that really changed the way I thought about what God could do even with a small group like this. If you took the entirety of all of the water on planet Earth, all of it, every ounce of it, and you evaporated it, gone. Gone. And you tried to replace that water with an eyedropper. You all used an eyedropper before? Bloop. How many think it would take a long time to do that? But if you apply multiplication to it, something profound happens. So, what I mean by that is this if you multiply it by itself every time. So, the first dry eyedropper, what do we do? One. It's going to take a while. The next, we do two. Bloop, bloop. The next, we do four. Bloop, 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 bloop so on and so on continue to multiply by itself each time it takes 72 times to replace all of the water on planet earth and that was just crazy to me like 72 that's just ridiculous like that's incredible the power of multiplication we talk about reaching a city and you go well how could we reach a city well if i could replace the entirety of the water on the planet earth in 72 cycles of multiplying itself then we can reach the city quite quickly couldn't we if we all begin to reach out. And here's the part that really blew my mind, and I don't really have any great analogies for this, it's just weird to me. That means that the 73rd time you'd have two, two planet Earths worth of water. And so when I talk about us coming together, when I cordially invite you, when I, when I request your presence, it's for more. There is something spiritual that happens there, and that's what I want you to get. That coming together relationally is, well, there's practical things in the church and there's spiritual things in the church. No, there's the body of Christ and it's supernatural all the time. And it might just be, and please hear no condemnation in this, but if there's a little bit of conviction, I hope so. Please hear me that there may be things that God longs to do through us that he's waiting until we come together and learn to love one another, hello, before he's going to do that. So I want to invite you, encourage you, let's get to know one another, let's love one another. And let's uh, come together this Wednesday, I think it's at 7, wear an ugly sweater, and bring an uh, ornament, I think is what we're supposed to do. It's on Facebook, I don't know. It's an ornament, and you're supposed to wrap it, and then we're going to do an exchange. You can either bring one per individual or one per family, it doesn't really matter, and we'll have some fun, we'll play some games, we'll get to know one another, and uh, it'll be great. Who's going to be there? Woo! Woo-hoo! Okay, good. Uh, Bibles, let's get into the word this morning, that's been enough yakking from me, um, So we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 35, but before we do that, I want to make sure we understand the cohesive nature of uh, the advent and what we're studying. Part of the the symbolism of the wreath or the clump, as we have, of the the candles is I hope for us to see the connectedness and the synergy that happens in in the different phases and the different things that we're looking at in the Advent. So I want to make sure we get where we've been and kind of uh, go to the next step very organically. So we're going to be reading. The reading for this morning is going to come from Isaiah chapter 35. But if you've got your Bibles uh, or Bible applications available, go to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah is toward the front of your Bibles. Uh, Chronologically, it's after what Isaiah is teaching here. But But in our Bibles, we have it before. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And you got Samuels, Kings, Chronicles, and Ezra. Then you're going to hit Nehemiah. If you hit the Psalms, you've gone too far. Turn around and go back. Or just click the button on your phone. I don't even know why I'm telling you where it is. You're all like, it's right here. Boop. Gotta love it. Oh, and by the way, loft people, I'm not using any slides this morning. So you can just throw it on the uh, title slide. We're kicking it old school this morning and just going to read our Bibles. Um, so, I think this is a good uh, kind of picture for us of reviewing where we 've been because I think the the children of Israel at this time in history are in a similar place to uh, where they were in the, the moments before the coming of, of Jesus into the earth they 've been in exile they 've been run out. And taken captive by another nation have been living there. They've now been allowed to come back to their, to the promised land, to the nation of Israel, to the physical place because the people need a place. Amen. They need to gather together in a place. And so they've, they've come together now and they've, they've rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem and they've now finished the wall. So they have a, a safe city and, and reading for me personally kind of in, in between the lines here and kind of understanding what's happening is I think what began to cross the minds of The leaders at the time of of Ezra, the the high priest and the Levites, the the priests and the teachers of the nation of Israel, and Nehemiah, the kind of a political leader, is they started to realize that, okay, we've done all this, but now what? We've we've accomplished all this stuff, we've built things, we've we've restored the, the temple, we've we've built up these walls, and we should be feeling satisfied and safe, but they're not. So they called together a gathering. Of people. Honestly, they call a church service. If you read it in, uh, the, starting in verse one, we're gonna start in verse eight, but if you read it starting in verse one, they literally build a place like this. They build a square, an, an open, it would have been open, but it would have been a, a, a set aside place. They build a stage for, uh, worship and for teaching to come off of. Hello, somebody. And then they, they open up the Bible and they teach. We're gonna pick this up in verse eight. It says, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. That word gave the sense, that term there literally means to to take something, to make it understandable, and then to set it beside somebody. So they made sure people could get, they could wrap their arms around what God was saying in his word. Sound familiar? Verse 9, and Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, catch this please, this day is Holy to the Lord your God, do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the word, the words of the law. And then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord and do not grieve. And here's the most, probably one of the most misquoted and misapplied verses in the entire Bible. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse 11, so the Levites calmed the people, saying, be quiet for this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's living and active. We thank you that you speak to us through your word. God, we thank you that you deliver to us grace in hearing your word, we thank you that you deliver ability to obey through the hearing of your word. I don't understand how you do this, but yet, God, I know from the promise of your word and from the experience of my life that you deliver to us great grace through the proclamation of your word. And so we ask today, God, that we wouldn't just proclaim your word, but God, that you would come and proclaim your word to our hearts, that you would breathe life upon your word, that you would breathe Breathe life upon these pages that you would give ears for us to hear, hearts for us to receive, feet for us to apply that grace to, that we might be transformed through the hearing of your word today, that we can leave this place different than we came in. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Okay, so quickly review here real fast. The first week we saw in Isaiah 64 that we are hopeless without Jesus. That without his presence, that without his coming, that without his being with us, we have no hope. But rather with his coming, the, the, the culmination of the end of hopelessness begins. The death of hopelessness is sounded at the coming, at the advent of Jesus. That there is no problem in your life that cannot be completely altered with the manifestation of his presence in your life. It's a good place to say amen. We need to understand this and grasp this and and grab a hold of it. And I see that this is the same place that they're in. They're they're there here they have walls built and here they have a temple and here they should be feeling satisfied and here they should be able to be uh, uh, comfortable and yet something in them causes them to draw together and to seek God. And as they do that, as they go to his word, as they say, God, you're not with us, where are you? And they look into the word, we see the next thing, the next candle, the next week, the next reading, the next kind of focus of the advent that we've been doing here, we see that they all of a sudden realize that there needed to be preparation in their hearts for his coming. And we saw that the comfort of the Lord last week, we saw this clearly, the comfort of the Lord is the gift of repentance. Repentance that comfort and repentance go hand in hand in God because not only is he promised to come and to meet us, not only as we saw in Isaiah 64, will he rend the heavens, not only will he break through the separation, not only will he well, will He himself cover the distance, but he'll also prepare us to receive him. He has committed to our preparation more than we have. He gives us the gift of repentance. He comes and he delivers a word to us that brings comfort because it says not only is he going to come, but he's not going to leave us the way that we are when he came. So we have hope and we have preparation. And here we see in in Nehemiah, and we're about to see in Isaiah an amazing thing, and that is that the sorrow of repentance, which is healthy and good and righteous is not the ending place. We're not meant to be sorrowful and to stay there. Look, we're going to continue to preach repentance to this church because I believe it is the message of the kingdom. If you don't like repenting, you won't like being a Christian. I did that when I got saved. Yeah, and you're going to keep doing it forever. Forever. <laughs> We're going to talk about it a lot, and we're going to to try to wrap our arms around it, and we're going to try to embrace it to the fullest extent of our abilities. But here's what I want us to understand, and this is something that I feel like needs to get down into the base of who we are as a people. The sorrow, and I'm just going to be blunt, the agony that we feel at the, at the, the realization and at the revelation that God is right and I am wrong, and I have been grabbing on to the very thing that has been causing the problems that I've been blaming God for, That moment is painful. And there is an appropriate amount of sorrow that happens in our heart, but we don't stay there. The the life of the believer, while it is certainly marked with repentance, while it is regular for us to be repenting on a regular, consistent basis, that repentance, and we're gonna see this this morning, should lead to joy ultimately. We're gonna see why here. We're going to look at this. Now, before we do that, I want to make sure we understand joy real quick. I'm not going to spend a lot of time because I think a lot of people have, and I think most of us probably grasp the difference between being happy and being joyful. I'm not saying that God wants you to be happy. I'm going to be blunter than that. God doesn't care if you're happy. Sells a lot of books in Christian stores, but it's not in the Bible. So God doesn't care if you're happy. He's interested in your joy. So what's the difference between joy and happiness? Let me just throw this out, and then we're going to move on because we got a lot of places to go, and I don't got a lot of time. Joy is rooted, eternal, and based on the truth and principles of God's word. Happiness, come on somebody, is superficial, temporal, and based completely on circumstances. You can be happy and lose happy in a moment. You can be happy because you drove through Starbucks and they gave you a drink for free, and 45 seconds later, you can be pissed because a guy cut you off on the freeway. Didn't happen to me this week, I promise. And (laughs) you can lose happiness. Happiness can come and happiness can go. And I'm not saying happy is bad. I'm just saying it's not as good as joy. Joy is deeply rooted. Joy finds its basis, come on somebody, in something deeper than just my circumstances. I can be horribly unhappy and still have joy. So here's what I want to do. Let's go to Isaiah chapter, six, or chapter 35. Isaiah 35. I want to just read through this slowly, make some observations about why, please hear me, why does his advent bring us joy? Why does his coming produce joy in our hearts? If, it's, if, if joy is based on principles and truth, what are the truths, come on somebody, in his coming that bring us joy? What is it about him coming to us that brings joy? Well, in Isaiah 35, he's prophesying about the coming of the Lord. He's prophesying about this and what's going to happen. So let's look and see the joy of his coming. Isaiah 35, verse one, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus, which is a flower for all the dudes in the room. It's a unique flower, though. I wasn't going to say any of this, but it's a unique flower because unlike other flowers, it doesn't bloom in the summertime. The, the flower looks something like a cross between a rose and a tulip. It's a beautiful flower, but it actually blooms in either the fall, winter, or spring. So by, by Isaiah and by God using this analogy, he's saying, look, this, this hot, dry, dead place, there's going to be a flower that should not be there. It shouldn't be in a place like this. Something's going to be transforming it. Verse 2 says, It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon, which was a forest land, shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, which were a place like gardens, natural gardens that God had made. He's saying the desert is going to be like a forest. The desert is going to turn into a place of beauty. And check this out. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Okay, pop quiz, get ready. Who is the glory of the Lord? You guys are good. This whole thing is wrapped around his coming, the transformation that takes place in the dry desert places. Am I the only one who has ever been in a dry desert place? I'm on a place where there is no water, a place where there is no nutrients, a place where there is no nourishment for my soul, where everything feels dry and everything feels hard and everything requires work and application. Nothing comes easy. And it says here that in his coming, there's going to be a transformation of that place. Why does his advent produce joy? Reason number one, because in his coming, newness of life happens. In his coming, there is a newness that comes to our life. The hard places can be transformed into something beautiful. Here's the funny thing, though, that I find really interesting that I really want to make sure we grasp because I want us to be a people who who celebrate his coming all the time. We are called to rejoice before he comes. Did you catch that in this? He calls, he says, look, rejoice, celebrate, be joyful, sing, be happy. Because this is going to happen. He doesn't say, do this because it's happened. Look, any self-centered, egotistical, fallen, sinful man can have something good happen to them and clap for it. It takes somebody uniquely transformed by the grace of God to hear his promise and rejoice over the promise of his coming, even if we never see it. And this is important to me because we're going to talk about a lot of amazing things this morning that are byproducts of his coming and produce joy in us. But if we wait, please hear me, if we wait for the coming of it, if we wait for the fulfillment of it, if we wait for the the seeing of the eye of the fulfillment of the promise, we are no better than those who are lost. And we'll miss out on the joy that could be ours because of his coming. Verse number three, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Who's the savior? Come on, pop quiz. Who's the savior? Jesus. Jesus. So here we see that in him, we have newness of life. In the coming of Jesus, we have newness of life. In the the breaking down, the, the coming through the sky from the spanning the distance, in his arrival, there's newness of life that comes to us. In his arrival, there is a new, come on, healing and restoration that happens to us. And I mean that fully. I mean that physically. I mean that emotionally. I mean that spiritually. Healing is given to us as he comes. Again, though. Let me just emphasize, I'm just bound by tension. I love what it says. It talks about healing. It talks about restoration. And I hope that in some ways, I hope that at least one of those offends you. Some of us have a real easy time going, well, God brings spiritual healing to us, but he doesn't really care if you're physically sick. I don't think that's clear in the Bible. Yeah, because Jesus didn't spend any of his time here on the earth healing people physically. Some of us can handle physical healing, but we have a hard time thinking about mental healing. Oh, God doesn't want me mentally healthy. I just need to get over it and get better. No, he wants to bring healing there. But, But did you catch how he brings that healing? It says that he's going to come, and I love this. I love the way it's worded here. I want to read it again. says, behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. There is is a great need in the body of Christ today to understand both the judgment of God and the saving grace of God. And we need to realize that healing comes when we grab a hold of both of those things. Now, I'm not, please hear me, I'm not throwing out a formula. Well, once you understand the, 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 the vengeance and the judgment of God and the saving of God, you'll be magically healed because God's a vending machine and you just put the right quarter in and push the right button and boop, you get what you want from him. not what we're teaching. Hello, somebody. But what I'm saying is, is that there can be a skewed perspective of God when we only understand one. When all we hear about is the judgment and the vengeance and the recompense of our God, we begin to be so bound by fear that we become legalistic little drones that are so afraid of God and so so resistant to his presence that we draw away from him and we become legalistic. And then when all we hear about is the great graciousness and saving virtue of our God, we become to be lax in our approach to God, lax in the way that we walk, and we begin to walk in a crude and an unworthy lifestyle to the, the, the price that was paid for us to be reconciled to God. But when we understand both, we walk worthy knowing that he makes us worthy. So we see this healing that comes and we're not even done hearing about the healing. Verse number five says, the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the eyes of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing with joy for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of the jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. There is a healing transformation that comes when God's presence is manifested to his people. God doesn't just come and let us know because there's hair standing up on the back of our neck. Because we get, Oh, I sang that song, I got goosebumps. That's not what the presence of God is about. There is, in his coming, there is a proof of his presence with his people where you walk out different than you walked in. And look, please hear me. I don't personally really care whether I get healed now or later. Doesn't matter to me at all. My hope, my prayer, my cry is for him to be glorified. And whether he's glorified more through my my healing or through my trust in him through suffering, I could care less most days. Come on, I'm just being honest. There are some days, oh my God, just seriously, just do it. Oddly, that doesn't work. I'm not, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just bound to this. I am not here proclaiming that in the coming of Jesus, all your problems are solved. Your life will be great. No problems, no hardship. Everything's going to be wonderful. That's not in the gospel. We've talked about this. But yet I don't want us to get so far off. Please hear me that we forget that there are benefits to his coming in this life and in the next. Look, I don't mind if I'm going to be sick here because I'm going to live there a lot longer than I'm going to live here. And I'm pretty sure I'm not going to have this stupid heart problem there. Mostly convinced. That's not to be something I deal with there. Let's continue reading. Verse verse eight. And a highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness. Pop quiz, who's the way of holiness? Oh, come on. You guys are good. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Who's the way? Jesus. This 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 is where we get really happy right here. These words. Even... If they are fools, they shall not go astray. I mean, people get excited about that. That means your dumb friends can get saved. And so can you. There's not a, there's not a requirement for a mental, a mental ascension to something. I get really frustrated. I, I, I identify a lot with 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 some really hardcore, intense Bible teachers out there, but I, I get really frustrated when they seem to tie spiritual growth to mental ascension. Like I know we spend a lot of time talking, and I spend a lot of time preparing messages, and I, I take very seriously my responsibility and my duty as your pastor to feed and teach you, but I am fully aware that none of that matters as much as him coming and meeting you where you are and transforming your hearts and minds and life. And that is not tied to mental ascension. Look, I have been transformed in areas that I never understood. I didn't have some mental grasping of it. And this promise is not tied to, come on somebody, a mental ascension. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon shall come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and singing and sighing shall flee away. Here's what I want us to see, two quick things. So there's, there's a newness of life, right? There's healing. We saw these things already, right? The next thing I want us to see is there is a new and a better way to live in Jesus' coming. And this ought to be something that while our flesh may fight, our spirits ought to rejoice in. Because here's what that means. I love you. Nobody picked you up and took you out to the wilderness. Do you understand that? You wandered your own butt out there, right? Like, we've talked about this before. Like, nobody has screwed you over as much as you have. Nobody has failed you as much as you have. Nobody has wrecked your life as much as you have. Okay, you got yourself there. You wandered yourself out. In the, you're not going to be able to stand before God and go, like, like look, look, let me just back up. Eve tried that excuse, right? Like, I devil made me do it like it started with adam i was like god's like adam what'd you do it's the woman you gave me translated it's your and her fault how'd that look at him so he goes to eve why'd you do it the devil made me do it christians are still trying to use that line it wasn't my fault it was the evils of hollywood that made our country so bad I'm not getting political I'm not going there i made that promise early on here sticking with it you got yourself there. And please hear me. There are people, please hear me. There are people who come in your life and they hurt and hinder or they build up and they help. But ultimately, you are going to stand before God responsible for the, st- for, for, the, for the outcome of your own life. And here's, here's the amazing thing about that. That's a good thing. That means nobody puts a cap on your life but you. That means as God transforms your life, as God brings healing and restoration and new life to your life, you can grab a hold of that yourself. You're not, it's not contingent upon somebody else. So what I rejoice in in the advent of Jethus is the fact that, yes, amen, highly, there's, there's newness of life in this place. There's, there's healing in this place. None of that is contingent upon me getting out of here, but yet still, a transformed desert, come on, somebody, is still a desert. And it says, not only am I going to make the place that you are beautiful, not only am I going to bring new life to where you are, but I'm going to show you how to get out of this place because you wanted your own butt there, and I'm going to show you the way out of it. And I rejoice over the fact there's a newness of life in Jesus, and there's a new and a better way to live my life in him because the old way I lived sucked. That's a theological term, by the way. It drained life. That's what I meant by that. I don't know what you took it as meaning. There is is a reality that our life apart from Jesus didn't lead to good things. And we celebrate and we make much of here the fact that he brings newness of life. And last week I talked about this, the true transformation leads to something different in our life. When we talk about not wanting behavior modification, but wanting genuine transformation, that's not an excuse to stay in the wilderness. It's a reason and a hope and a joy of saying that he's going to transform me so I can walk out of the wilderness. Look, I'm just gonna be blunt. If you if you have heard the gospel and heard the gospel and heard the gospel and nothing has changed in your life, I'm just going to throw this out to you. You haven't grasped it yet. Transformation needs to come to our life. And the promise in his coming is that we will be led out of the places that we've wandered ourselves. You can be different and that should be something we find joy in. It should be something that produces joy. Next we see here, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because I think they go hand in hand, but this avoidance of lions this rest and this trust that can happen. Uh, Peter tells us in, I believe it's 1 Peter 1, 5, he, he identifies the enemy, Satan, as a roaring lion looking whom he may devour, right? And there's all these stupid sermons by Christians and posters. That say, the devil's the roaring lion, but he got his teeth pulled out. He can't hurt anybody anymore. That's a lie. <laughs> there's a real devil and he really wants to mess up your life. And if you haven't experienced that being messed up yet, just keep living it'll happen such a rejoicing thing so happy that i said that um we need to understand this though that there is a promise in jesus that we can rest and trust that only what he allows into our life as believers is what's going to be allowed to come there so there's a resting in this new way of life and last but not least i want to end here i want to land the plane in this place the the next reason and it's not specifically laid out here in this chapter but i i feel like we have to hear this because we're digging through all these things, right? We're we're digging through all the the things that produce joy in us from his coming. But again, where does it all end? And I'm gonna fast forward. We could continue to talk and I could have, and at one point, honestly, I'm writing down this this week, studying and I'm writing down all these amazing things that joy produces or that, that his advent produces joy and why. And I'm reading this and I'm getting more and all these things and the list could be endless because there's so many amazing things that are ours in his coming, Amen. Because let's be real, every promise in the scripture is contingent upon his coming. Jesus fulfills every promise that God ever made to anybody. What more could we ask for than God himself coming and living with us? Not just in his earthly ministry 2,000 years ago, but now today, his ever-present promise to be with us. What more could we ever ask for? What promise is not ultimately fulfilled in Jesus? Jesus here's what I want us to understand. Big picture, big picture. Let's go up away from this. We're we're in the weeds of it now, and that's great, and it's been fun, and it's been awesome, but let's go out and go beyond this because here's the truth. Big picture. This thing here, this Bible is for you. Right? It's for you, but here's the catch. (laughs) It's not about you. You're not the star of this. The promises of God. They're for you. Amen? Amen. (laughs) But they're not about you. That's why I don't care if I get healed. That's the promise of healing is for me. But it's not about me. The coming of Jesus is for you, but it's not about you. Big picture. I have hope in his coming. I I have the preparation of knowing that he will grant to me as his son repentance, which leads to joy, which leads to joy because I know he will be magnified and glorified in my redemption. The reason, the big reason, the big purpose, the ultimate foundation of why there is joy in the advent of Jesus, why there is joy in my knowledge that he is coming, why there is joy, why there is preparation, why there is hope, why I am joyful as a believer is not because God has promised to do lots of stuff for me. It's because he is made much of in my redemption. That as I am redeemed, that as I am transformed, he is made much of and I am not. John the Baptist was questioned. We talked about this last week. They said, look, dude, John, you baptized that Jesus guy, and that was cool, but you used to have this big ministry, and now everybody's going and following Jesus, and no one's really hanging out with you anymore. Does that make you mad? And he said, no, I must decrease so he might increase. I'm to say it again. It's all about Jesus. I find joy in his coming because I know in his coming, he will be glorified in my redemption. Do you catch the subtle difference there? I don't celebrate that I'm redeemed. That's great, but I don't find ultimately find the foundation of my joy in my redemption. I find it in his glorification, in his exaltation, in his magnification, in him being made much of. I celebrate and I'm rejoicing. And I want to end here. If you've got your Bibles, one last thing. We posted this this week, and I just want to end with it. Ties them both together. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 9, 2 Corinthians 7, 9. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so so that you suffered no loss through it. Verse 10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. I find rejoicing in my repenting, not because my repenting produces my salvation, but because in my repentance, God delivers to me the mechanism with which I experience his grace and he has made much of repentance can't get you to him. Please hear that. You need to hear that. You repenting doesn't get you instantly to God. This is, a, this is a misunderstanding I feel like that has permeated the church for too long. Your repenting does not lead you to God. Any more than them building the walls in Jerusalem made them safe. But it does prepare you for his promised coming. You don't regret, you don't repent to get him to arrive, but you repent because he's promised to arrive. And in repentance, you are prepared and ready for his arrival. And when you repent that way, see, when we repent to try to convince God that we're really sorry, so he'll forgive us, so he'll come to us, so he'll he'll advent personally in our lives. When we repent that way, it's all about me. When I repent because he's promised to come, are you catching this? Because he's promised to come and I repent. Now all of a sudden I'm making it about him. I'm preparing for his arrival. Therefore I repent. And that kind of repentance leads to joy. So this morning, we need to grab a hold of this. We need to grab a hold of the kind of repentance that produces joy. Because I know he's coming and I know I'm prepared for it. And I know that in that, I find great joy because he will be celebrated, he will be made much of. Let's stand to our feet this morning. This morning, I want to simply remind us again, as we've heard several times this morning, our repentance ought to lead to joy. A repentance that we experience in him ought to lead us to a place of celebrating his saving work in our lives. So this morning, as we close the service, as we come to an end here today, I'd like us, we, we practice a lot here, repentance. We don't shy away from it, right? Am I talking to the right church? I don't think we are shy about calling ourselves to repentance. But I think maybe we can grow in calling ourselves to rejoice. Because let's be real, if we're truly repenting, joy should be a byproduct, amen? Amen. So this morning I'm gonna pray. And if you've got things you need to repent of, I'm I'm gonna just be honest and say, let's let's repent of those things. Let's not shy away from it. But at the same time, let's not stop at repentance. Let's not stop at the sorrow. Let's push through to joy. I love this picture, this, this, this mechanism that God gives us. If I can pastor us here just for 30 seconds, I love this, this mechanism that God gives us in Nehemiah, where Nehemiah says, You need to rejoice. You need to be happy. I know you've heard the law. I know you've heard the, the reality of your situation. I know that you've, you've realized in coming together that you were hopeless, and now you've seen that the reason you're hopeless is because you wandered yourself out into the desert. But also see that God has promised to prepare you. Also see that God has promised to come to you and rejoice. And here's what he tells them to do. Ultimately, just modernize this. Let me modernize this say, go out to lunch together. Go eat good food and laugh and enjoy one another and realize that together we are the people of God and we are the redeemed of God and we ought to rejoice in the fact that he is made much of in our saving. Can we rejoice together this morning? Can we celebrate his saving together? And then here's my call to you. It's not cry, weep, repent. It's (laughs) go out to lunch with somebody. Am I allowed to say that? Can we be that like just normal and practical here? We talked about earlier before the message really started this morning about how we need to get to know one another. Like, commit this today to say, you know what, I'm going to have lunch with somebody every week after church that I don't know yet, and it's going to be awkward, but it's going to be awesome. God's going to be glorified in the fact that we're both redeemed, and it might be weird, but let's do it anyway. Say, I can't afford to go out to lunch. Stick something in the crock pot before you leave home and invite somebody over to your house. (laughs) That will be real awkward. Let me throw this out as a secondary to that. Commit to going out to lunch with somebody. Commit to not saying no if somebody asks you out to lunch after church. Are we allowed to be this practical in church? This feels weird to me, but let's just embrace it, right? I think there's something tangible about what happens when we do life together that leads to true joy. Because here's the truth. Even when I'm going through stuff that I don't have anything to rejoice about, God's work in your life If I'm truly connected to you heart to heart, hand to hand, doing life together, I can rejoice when God's doing something in yours. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the promise of joy in your coming. And I thank you that that you prepare us to repentance. God, I thank you for the gift that you give us in repentance that leads to transformation. But I thank you that true repentance leads ultimately to our joy I thank you that true repentance leads ultimately to my transforming and such a deep level that I find joy not only in my saving, but God, more fully, I find joy in your glorification through my saving, that you are made much of when you save me. So, God, come and have your way. Come and reveal yourself. And fill us with your joy. In Jesus' name.